Hello, I'm Scott Wimsett and welcome to another episode of Personal Threads, the podcast where we delve deep into the style evolution of our guests and, of course, have a conversation about where style sits in a modern world. Our next guest has a lot to say on all things fashion and style and sustainability. Born in Edinburgh, Scottish supermodel, MBE, V&A design champion, Eunice Olimide's career spans globally. Having appeared in both national and international campaigns, fashion weeks and editorials including Elle, Harper's Bazaar, ID, Dazed and Confused, Vogue, Italian Vogue, Tatler and many, many more. Not to mention walking for designers including Mulberry, Alexander McQueen, Christopher Kane and Harris Tweed. After the success of her BBC radio show Music Match, she went on to star and produce in the UK's first ever award-winning podcast dedicated to women of colour on BBC Radio 5 Live called Sister Collective. She has toured extensively as a DJ at many festivals, opening for music legends such as Grace Jones. A passionate activist and campaigner, she has worked with the Centre for Social Justice and spoken at the Houses of Parliament, influencing the first ever inquiry into the impact of fast fashion on the environment. As a philanthropist, she supports many charities, hosting youth groups and classes throughout the UK. In November 2017, Eunice was awarded an MBE as part of the Queen's Honours for services to broadcasting, charity and the arts. Over the last few years, she has secured multiple acting roles, including BAFTA award-winning Trouble Sleeping, One Sweet Oblivious Antidote with Lenny Henry, and further cameo appearances in Fab the Movie. And this year, she landed a major role with urban music mogul Stormzy in Nought and Crosses. And in February 2023, Eunice walked the catwalk for Oxfam Fashion Fighting Poverty. Hello, Eunice. How lovely to have you with us. How are you, my love? I'm very good. Thank you so much for that incredible introduction. Before we go into all of the other components of your glittering career, I really want to talk to you about personal threads in the way of those early sort of style decisions that Eunice might have been making as a young girl. What were the sort of influences that was dictating what you would see as good style? To be honest, it was... um quite an interesting evolution because when I was young I was very much into kind of sports and activities I was probably a bit of a tomboy so my style was very much kind of non-specific more kind of like streetwear loungewear comfortable clothing and sport related yes sport related um I think when I first got scouted, I can remember exactly what I was wearing. I was wearing a pair of inside-out Air Force Ones, um, <laughs> a pair of very baggy jeans, um, a bomber jacket. Well, this is a good look. This is proper 90s. <laughs> yeah, a crop top, uh, afro and no makeup. Brilliant. So, Where yeah, were you? That was, um, I was in uh, Princess Street in Edinburgh. Right. Yeah. And how old were you? I think it was 15. Wow. At the time. So you obviously had a bit of a look going on with your puffer jacket and your oversized boyfriend jean and yeah, that kind of 90s. That was kind of like as dressy as I would go. And my best friend was my big brother. And it was like, 
I didn't really want to look too pretty because it would be strange. Yeah, if you know what I mean. You were hanging out with the boys. Yeah, so it was always like. And what sort of sport were you into? What was your thing? So I was an athlete. So I did indoor sixty, two hundred, outdoor one hundred, and high jump. Those were like my speciality. Um, and I used to run for Harmony Athletics. I was supposed wow. to actually compete in the like Olympics and all sorts of stuff. Um, and I I ended up going down the fashion route which is kind of crazy if you think about it what sort of music would you Eunice have been listening to at 15 suddenly getting scouted in Edinburgh and on the one hand I would listen to the kind of popular culture and the music that all kind of young people and actually young girls would listen to because that was something I could do Mm -hmm. um so kind of like you know Destiny's Child and so on Yeah. yeah but at the same time I was like highly influenced by my mum, um. So she's a Yoruba lady, and I would listen to a lot of kind of Yoruba music, which would range from the more well known, such as your Fela Kuti's, to the more obscure. So it was a very eclectic mix, and then obviously further influenced by um my sibling, and he was just in a completely different direction. <laughs> he was listening to Rage Against the Machine Great. and, you know, Nirvana and Eric Clapton and so on. So it was like a really eclectic mix. And I think that does actually inform a lot of my character. And what, just in regards to those sort of early textures of sort of fashion, like were you, would you have been borrowing things from your brother or was he into a certain aesthetic and it was like Nirvana kind of vibe that you were thinking actually quite like this idea yeah, of a leather jacket? Definitely, or... 150%. I would regularly hijack, as he would put it, uh, multiple <laughs> garments. I'm having that. From his wardrobe. But then I'd also wear a lot of my mum's clothes. More when I was young, playing dress up in the house. Yeah, yeah. Not actually going out. I I remember taking my mum's pieces when I was quite young as well. Like any opportunity when she left the house to put on a floor length dress. Definitely. And um, and then at the same time, I kind of, because of the cultural dichotomy of obviously uh, being first generation African born in Scotland, Mm -hmm. I would wear my kind of Western clothes, which Mm -hmm. were my staple. Mm -hmm. And then whenever I'd have to do anything that was remotely family related Mm -hmm. or a wedding Mm -hmm. or a christening, I would wear full on Nigerian regalia. Brilliant. Yeah. So why would you why would you lean in so heavily from a cultural perspective and have the kind of costume, if you will? Nigerian people, they are very proud of their culture mm, and absolutely. anywhere they go in the world they always wear their traditional dress uh, even during the day so it would have been impossible for me to go to a kind of a occasion without wearing you know and it tends to be quite tribal as well yeah. and family oriented so a lot of the time your outfits will match yeah and a lot of the time you will have new clothes designed for that specific that occasion. occasion and the and same fabric and the same the color same story fabric yeah. so yeah it, i i suppose that was like my first introduction to couture in a way yeah um as that's how I like to think about it. Totally. There's quite a different headspace that if you were sort of Eunice hanging out maybe on the street with your bomber on and sort of hanging with your brother and a little bit of Nirvana music going on and then getting a very different Eunice going to family gatherings in the kind of matching fabric in the proper kind of Nigerian 
costume. So what did you enjoy most or were they just really different and great for their own? Costume? I think that when I kind of dressed in my kind of Western, we'll call it attire, it actually, in retrospect, was actually a, a form of safety yeah. and a type of protection. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel quite confident uh-huh. and uh, not um, as feminine which uh, just because the time I grew up in Scotland, it was mm. a very, very different time. Mm. You know, there weren't many people of colour. Mm. And so I, I felt it was a type of armour, mm. actually. Mm. And I think this is one of the most amazing things about fashion is mm. that it can actually be used to protect you from mm. your environment. Absolutely. As well as give you more confidence. Mm-hmm. I would have been quite uh, uncomfortable being a feminine, feminine girl because... I would was kind of hyper aware of um, my difference, which was articulated to me by other children, which was really weird because when I was super young, and I always tell people this, I had no concept that I was apparently different. Right. Like, my, like no one knew. And then it's really funny, the impact of adults, because at some point in time, some adults or parents must have said to their kids, oh, by the way, she's different or she looks different or she's African or something. Right. And then from nowhere, people are kind of like, oh, yeah, you're and this. Then, and then the kids and then are I'm behaving like, differently. What is this? Yeah, yeah and then strange. it's like they're finding out and I'm finding out at the same time. Right, right, right. Um, I do this really funny sketch sometimes when I do the odd comedy thing. <laughs> and I do this funny joke about my head mistress exposing me to the entire school assembly as being a bemis you know and no one knew that i was black and ethnic minority including myself (laughs) you know what i mean and she's just gone and told everybody which is quite funny um but yeah i think it kind of gave you possibly you know it gave you an edge with this sort of western clothing i guess in that way that's probably served you quite well growing up and and definitely going into the fashion industry um, now talk to me a little bit about that kind of time of like what it felt like what it looked like to be a model at 15 a black model going into the industry coming from a typical British council estate I was very working class and had gone through a lot of kind of persecution and whatnot over the colour of my skin, etc. So when I was scouted, I didn't get it. It, it was actually bizarre. Right, right. And it didn't, it, I had to get scouted about three or four times before I actually took it seriously. And I didn't know that modelling was a real job because I think when you come from like a wee tiny place in like Scotland, yeah. I don't know if we Sound don't watch the telly or something, yeah. but it just doesn't sound like a real thing and you just thought it wasn't true. And and what sort of gigs were you getting in this, like, the first sort of few years when you were like... I was doing... I remember the first job I did was a Vivian Westwood show, which Great. was in Glasgow, yeah. That I mean, that's was, straight in there, yeah, what, during runway? very much straight in. And it was so funny because I remember uh, my booker, telling me that he thought I was beautiful. And I, and, and I think it was possibly the first time that I'd consciously been told that. Um, right. and, and I had a big afro and I had no makeup on and I was so... Con- I just I just remember pondering <laughs> this, like, really? This is odd. Is this true? <laughs> I had no idea. No, genuinely, oh, I had no delightful. idea. That's yeah, so and, gorgeous. Um, 
It was actually something that... You know, from a kind of young girl getting scouted, you'd often yeah. think that they would go in all kind of almost ready and waiting for that offer no, to come in the door. And the confused. innocence of you finding yourself no in a world just going, wait a minute, now, like, they're telling sure? me that I can walk in a major fashion designer's yeah, show and I'm beautiful. not true at all. <laughs> and um, that is something I would like to say about the fashion industry, which is a massive positive, is mm. that it doesn't actually discriminate in, in a class way. Yeah, you could come from any class or background. Absolutely, um, and I think that's something that people often uh, don't actually acknowledge. Which yeah. I, for me, yeah, it was a life changing experience. Yeah. Uh, from a mental health perspective, it totally. I had really uh, low, low insecure self esteem, self -esteem. Yeah. and a, a lot of insecurity about my appearance. Yeah. I genuinely believed I was the most unattractive person in the world. Oh. And uh, fashion made me think I was normal. Yeah. It and didn't just, make me I think I was well, special. That combination of sport you were doing and just how you would actually, who you would bring to the runway. Like what, how you would, how you would carry those clothes. Yeah, it's true. You know, that would have been something maybe different than what they'd seen before. True. And that is where you get noticed in the industry, isn't That's it? It's where true. somebody slightly, not that kind of, you know, everyone's the same kind of moment. You do notice that odd girl come through and you're going, she's walking differently, her yeah. offering's different, her sort of gest gesticulation is something yes. different about her. And it happened for you because it's just gone from strength to strength to strength. So when you were kind of, you know, the early days, maybe you're in the system then for a few years and you're starting to obviously work with designers and you're starting to obviously go to parties and you're traveling and what was happening to your personal style? Because we're all like oh, a bit yeah. of a sponge, aren't we? And that we was of... crazy. Um, So when you're that age and you're like a girl from a you know, typical estate. Yeah. Like, you know, I used to shop at like River Island course, and like New yeah. Look and International. Yeah. And I was going to these events and I was, I just remember being so petrified that like, <laughs> if I bought something from there, then someone else would be wearing it. Cause yeah. like this happened one time where I was gonna buy this dress and it was just a wee cheapie. And I went and I didn't buy it. I, ended up, I think I ended up wearing something that like old school from my mum. Nice. Um, it was like a, a suede uh, dress, kind of like full length. And it had stars on it. Wow. And it was a dress I'd seen in my mum's wardrobe. And I was always like, oh, oh that, looks, that looks amazing. Yeah. Even though I wasn't what a girly kind of suede girl. Was it? it was like, no, it wasn't a suede. That's a lie. Oh. It was. Um, What's velvet. it called? Velvet. Ah, okay. Uh, sorry, yeah. Great. You can guess even better. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, velvet. What colour velvet? With stars in it. It was black. Nice. And I had seen a picture of her in this dress when she was young. Yeah. And she used to be really slim and she'd kept it all this time. So anyway, I, I took the opportunity to wear that. That's what kind of like led me to thrifting charity shopping and also designing and making my own clothes okay and what I, sort of age was that because that's that was like super young that was like kind of 16 17 yeah i remember doing uh back in the day they used to have like home economics classes in school yeah and i remember learning how to like do the zigzag stitch and like certain stitches and I was like, yeah, I can do this. And then my mum bought me a sewing machine. Okay. So whenever I'd go to Nigeria, I would buy all this amazing fabric. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that's how I started kind of making my own clothes, 
literally just to wear to fancy fashion events. So on the one hand, you've got this sort of modelling career that's really taking off and doing really exciting events and shows and runway. And then on the other side, you're actually sourcing fabrics yourself, making pieces for yourself that actually are bespoke and fit you really, really well and sort of combining those worlds all together. Yeah, but it wasn't like I thought I was doing anything. It was kind of like, oh, I'll just do this because I don't want to be wearing something that someone else is wearing. So that's interesting. For Almost from a sort of uh, responsible fashion perspective, it wasn't necessarily about sort of being sustainable. No, it was much more about in those days, and I don't think we did, but, you know, you were just worried about actually having somebody wear exactly that same other yeah. dress that you might wear from sort of, you know, a yeah. cheaper shop like River Island or something like and, that. And it's actually something I see a lot of the time to people who work in the sustainability world who often have the best intentions, but mm. I feel that they totally miss the aspirational um, reality of everyday people. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a lot of the people that work in the sustainability realm, they're all incredible, fantastic, amazing people. Mm. But it does tend to be predominantly more of a kind of middle class, mm. kind of upper class activity. Mm -hmm. And and it's all very well, you know, being conscious of all these serious issues, which I personally am mm -hmm. from a really young age. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people are not, mm -hmm. you know, and you shouldn't condemn them for that. It's about understanding the psyche, understanding that when you're a young person, there are there's so much stigma, it's so highly pressured. Mm -hmm. And young people are under so much um, stress mm. from each other mm. at school. Mm. And, and the last thing you're going to want to do is like want to wear, you know, hand-me-downs. Mm. But you know I guess I mean? like you were also thrifting. You were looking at that sort of secondhand yeah. pre-love territory. And I think I was doing the same. And it wasn't necessarily at the time from an environmental perspective. It was much more that I could go and spend 20 quid or even less than that and find myself in a sort of floor-length cashmere coat. Or so, You know, I know you're talking about character playing. Like I used to love the fact that I could be a bohemian hippie or I could be a Savile Row gent or I could be, you know, whatever I wanted to be. I could play those characters by this avid love affair of yes. thrifting. And I knew I couldn't get that on a high street in Broadstairs where I grew up by the seaside or even when I moved to London. And it's sort of, you know, the permission that I think we've noticed in casting with younger sort of Gen Z audience in the campaigns that we're shooting and stuff, that a lot of them have a zero tolerance to fast fashion and buying new, that actually they, they really applaud the, 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 the growth of the charity sector within retail and, and, and secondhand fashion. So It's fantastic. I'm so motivated by where young people are today in terms of their consciousness and understanding and I think one thing I did realize when I was super super young mm. consciously mm. 16 kind of 17 was these clothes in the charity shops are better I remember in my head yeah, yeah, yeah. getting jackets that were like very well made, made yeah beautifully very yeah. um excellent fabric and, mm. and sewing and lining i, I remember the loving the lining of things yeah. that would always be like you know so luxurious yeah and then when i'd go to the high street they'd have like a kind of suit jacket and it'd be quite flimsy yeah yeah and it would be like double the price yeah and also i discovered at a young age that if i went to charity shops 
that were in fancy areas, I'd get the best Better stuff. stuff. And it was so, I remember <laughs> like literally I had done I this some Well, there's show. a few on Primrose Hill and I used to live on Camden Road. So there were two uh, different worlds, yeah. but I used to tiptoe into, into Primrose ball. Hill and then you'd be like, oh, actually Fantastic. there's some nice bits here. So when you were sort of, you know, obviously the modeling and you were exposed to designers and then probably working with some stylists and starting to do visual imagery and all of that kind of stuff. Do you, is there anything you can dial up about some sort of, you know, key looks that you were making with uh, photographers and, and definitely sort of memorable uh, aesthetics and stylists that you were working with? There would always be a lot of primary colours, quite bold. Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, I tended to be dressed in garments that were always quite strong structurally. Mm -hmm. um, I think Because you can that, wear those. Yeah, and I think it was also my personality, yeah. you know. How do you describe your personality? I've had so much fun hanging out with you at Ascot. Um, I just, I'm, I'm interested on your take of I yourself. I think that my personality is quite effervescent. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm quite an eclectic character. I think I'm very multifaceted, apparently. Immediately, you're starting off with this extreme cultural dichotomy mm -hmm. of Scottish and African. Mm -hmm. And then I come from a multi-faith background. Mm -hmm. So everything about me is multi, mm. it, uh, with multiple languages. And I guess that's probably what, you know, helped going into acting as well. Yeah. And all of the sort of performance. So talk to me about that sort of next part of your accolades in your life, of when you got into performance and obviously the sort of DJing and then the stand-up. I mean, you yeah. really have grafted hard and you sort of throw your hat in the ring with passion and dedication and focus on all of these elements. Yes. Uh, and obviously, with an, like as we know, with any of those gigs, it's about kind of self-belief yeah. and knowing that you've got something to offer. I think for me, coming from Edinburgh, Edinburgh is a big theatre place. Mm. You're surrounded by culture and live performance, Glasgow too. And then you've got this Edinburgh fringe that happens every single year. Mm. And I just remember from a really young age, my mum getting me into theatre classes after school. So for me, in my estate, there was a lot of really serious social, economic yeah. and, I suppose, environmental issues. Mm -hmm. And so going to theatre was an opportunity to be outside of that, right. to kind of um, experience new things, to, to, to be in a safe explore space. other worlds, yeah. Exactly. So I was always doing theatre my whole life. Another thing that I realised as I got... Uh, older i don't mm. like the word older but as i advance shall we say nice, in I the like fashion the industry yeah. i realized that well this is something which i might not be able to do forever and so at quite a young age i had the opportunity to sign with a really big agent i decided to go to university instead did it to my master's level and that had a big impact on how i saw the world so what because, was what was the master's in well i did metaphysics um, so I studied a lot of semiotics and paradigm and syntax and and Gosh. part of that was like psychology and um, you know understanding how the impact of the advertising industry which totally like shattered like my innocence <laughs> of, like of, yeah I was like oh man and then I just realized that like I was the face of the advertising I was like this was like so deep especially when you're young it's like no <laughs> really am I this I think when you're younger these things like you take them so seriously yeah. 
And um, so I was like, right, I'm only going to work with brands that I believe in and yes. stand for something. And, and, yeah. and that was really, really difficult. You had an opinion. And I think that comes with an intellect. You know, you, you were informed and you were exposed to and you were curious. And, and then you, your, your principles come into play. It was quite annoying, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, damn. And also, I was like very much an extremist about not relaxing my hair. Mm. Um, and at that time, it was just not normal for uh, women of my complexion mm. to have like natural mm. afro. And mm. I always had natural mm. afro. Mm. And it wasn't even a political decision. It was like I'd seen one of my cousins develop like really serious burns because they left the relaxer on too long and mm. I had got traumatized by it. And I was like, I'm not going to do not this. Not going to do that, yeah. And then later I realized it was actually seen as quite a political statement, which I didn't actually know, kind of like my uh, original forays into sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, and so that dictated a lot of the work that I could get. So what happened was I kind of felt like I needed to explore other areas. And I kind of had this list of things I wanted to do when I was 15, just before I became a model. Mm. And I felt compelled that I still needed to do all these things. Yeah, it's your life. That I wanted to do. So I was like, oh, I need to write books. I don't know why I just need to write books. And I want to um, do this and I want to do that. I had this like whole list of things. Like I've still got to um, do a PhD how, how you doing and become on your a list? teacher. Yeah. Well, I'm doing really well. Good. I've Please only got the PhD it. to do because I decided not to do that. I felt like I was too young and I'd be too overqualified. Talk to us about the journey into sustainability because obviously, you know, you're kind of in the fashion industry. You're working with designers. You're also realising that you have a sort of an opinion. You're then sort of exploring other accolades be it sort of theatre and TV and film. And then you're sort of also DJing at the time. Like, just give me some context of where the sustainable, more ethical fashion sentiments sort of started to embed. Well, funnily enough, the DJing, that kind of happened because I never wanted to be a DJ, but I was very good with music. And I was definitely, I would call myself a selector rather than a DJ, because nice. I know music. I feel like actually a lot of DJs have a big disservice because mm. everyone can DJ nowadays, but they're not really DJing because the mm. DJ is someone that has a, a fantastic understanding, yes, in-depth understanding of music. Rather than they have a fashion party with a model that's Yeah, known that's just playing DJ. something digitally it's, it's, and it's like yeah. being pre-mixed. Yeah. Like that's not DJing no, to me. No. And actually a friend of mine who's a three-time DMC champion winner. Wow. He said to me like, if anybody should be DJing, you should be because you're part of the culture and you've been part of the culture and you know the songs from back in the day. Yeah. And I was always into like very conscious, rebellious kind of music, to be honest, no matter what genre it was. So that's what started me off. And I started off uh, touring a lot with Grace Jones, who right. was just, I felt quite anti-establishment totally, in her of course. music. How did, you, how did you meet um, with Grace? How did that I come met about? her um, randomly when I was super young, doing a fashion show at Lovebox uh, with a Scottish designer called JJ Noki. And I was asked to DJ for her set. And, and she'd seen me DJing. So she kind of accosted me and I just became part of the family. And wow. she has a son called Paolo. And I was yes. really close with him. 
So I just used to like potter about with him and I ended up just getting hijacked and just being on the tour with them everywhere. Wow. And then from there, I um, went on to DJ for a bunch of other um, quite well-known artists and so on, all in the kind of same sort of vein. Um, so simultaneously to that, I had met Vivian Westwood quite young and I'd ended up being part of this thing she did called Climate Revolution. Yes, I remember it well. And she again was very radical and anti-establishment. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, I feel that Climate Revolution was what she was actually more passionate about totally. and truly p dedicated to. Totally. You obviously that determination to not just follow the norm, even from a young age, and then quite, you know, compromise your kind of traditional route and that sometimes losing out, that actually those things all eventually make sense as to where you would have been working with Vivian in the inside inner circle yeah, on true. sort of, you know, things that had policy and values and principles that's as true. opposed to just churning more runway sort true. of looks down to just sell a product. I remember the first protest we organised had 70,000 people. Wow. Um, and then the second one was really similar and we had like Emma Thompson and all these amazing people help and support. Mm. Um, we did one where we took a tank to Westminster, which was quite fantastic. <laughs> the thing about Vivian is she was like so committed. Mm. Mm. And, it was uh, contagious, wasn't it? Yeah. And I, I, I remember like we had this uh, event and there was a lot of students there from some of the best um, fashion schools. Mm. And I remember being there and I remember her being like quite um, concerned and telling all the young people, um, you know, you think this is just about dressing up. Mm. This is not about dressing up. This is about saving the world, mm. you know. And she played a significant motivating role in my past specifically on sustainability and then I'd kind of went on to become an ambassador for Zero Waste Scotland and I op opened a shop in a St Enoch Centre in Glasgow which um, an amazing actor Sam Hewn helped me do and that was kind of like um, second-hand swap shop mm. which at that time was revolutionary now it's like yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. does it so when you look and you kind of see the major offenders or the kind of required education for our citizens to help inform their purchasing decisions like where do you where do you sit on it because i think like we can feel the the fashion as a fashion correspondent it's it's turbulent and it's moving at speed and you blink and you've missed something really significant and i believe firmly that the sort of you know the retail offering our high streets are going to look unrecognizable in about five years time like there's an awful lot of great stuff happening but there's also partly an element of business as usual and you know people just not listening as well so where do you sit in all of that what are your major concerns and what are the good what are the wins i think that it's 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 a very difficult situation that we're in of course there's a huge responsibility on the actual companies and the mm. brands that are producing the fast fashion mm -hmm. but there's also a question of the social responsibility of the general public mm. all of us are complicit in it mm. at the same time I do feel that there could be far more stringent regulations. Mm -hmm. I think that clearly labelling things is a big problem. So mm -hmm. we saw from things like, you know, in, in the food and drinks industry or in, you know, things like alcohol and cigarettes, that it was important for products to be clearly labelled. And it does have an impact. When you pick up 
a product like that and you see written on it you know this is going to kill you and kill the planet mm -hmm. this is killing the planet it mm -hmm. does over time mm -hmm. impact how you think and i do think that things like that should have been done right i also feel that tax breaks and uh, more support should be given to local manufacturers and brands based within the countries upon which so that they're not having to sell their clothing at a high premium because the thing is you can't have well-made clothes that don't damage the environment and where everyone's been paid properly cheap it's not possible no um, and I think that it's the whole kind of buy buy less, buy better territory, 100%, and it's the education piece. And this is something that I learned from my mum. We didn't have money. She was like obviously a single mum, mm. and uh, she would always buy us really good shoes that would last mm. forever. Mm. Uh, some of the brands were like really Clever. corny, like Kickers and Clarks, and uh, yeah. and the coolest was Dr. Martens, which I had for about seven years. Yeah, well the made. same pair of shoes for seven years. It is so much more cost effective to invest in good quality key pieces that's totally. your jacket your shoes your yes. handbag possibly yes. certain accessories like yeah. a watch yeah. and then your other bits and pieces you can get from a charity shop because yeah. it doesn't matter if you have these pieces which are strong and they last forever i suppose that it sort of segues into ascot which is you know a real destination for dressing up and having fun and every time i see you at ascot i'm a little bit like oh, she looks amazing <laughs> what is going on here let me stop and have a look and yeah. you know you seem to really enjoy it and i just I think I'm, I'm excited just to talk to you about that because obviously i know that you're dressed by certain designers and you know that would be an obvious transaction but just from our people listening and our global audience who may we be very uh, fascinated with ascot they may attend ascot you know the advice that you would give in regards yes. to formal kind of occasion wear for the sporting summer season one of my favorite ever outfits i put together for ascot it was quite last minute and i use a lot of rental companies great. for my dressing great i don't know if it's because i'm scottish or if i'm just tight i don't know what my problem is but i don't like buying clothes i'll buy them if it's a bargain if it's a bargain i'm, I'm buying everything yeah. right this outfit, I had basically the hat I had uh, loaned from a shop. Nice. It was Edwina Hibbertson. And it was like white and fabulous. And I loved it and all these flowers on it. And then the dress I rented. Um, and it was um, called The Vampire's Wife. Wife. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. And it was like a really gorgeous kind of like pearl, kind of pinky, whitey, silvery piece and then i had found this other um rental company cocoon and they did handbags ah. and so i had uh, rented a, a, a silver dior uh, bag from them and then uh, the shoes i had got from oxfam i love which i loved they were like a white court shoe it was like they were there for me <laughs> and i got them for 12 quid Okay, you like yeah, a bargain, you I do, don't you? I do. <laughs> and so I had I had put this outfit together and I in my head I didn't really think it was like a really good outfit. I mean I liked it, I was feeling it, I was feeling good. I went to the ascot and as soon as I got to the ascot, everyone was saying, I love this Eunice, this is fantastic. Like everyone was coming it. up to me and they were like, This is gorgeous, like 
everybody literally all types of people were coming up to me and saying i love this outfit where did you get it and i was like well whispering at them like to be honest i'll put the whole thing together for like less than eight two quid but don't tell anybody <laughs> do you know what i mean that's it you know we're in a very new territory of what sort of formal occasion wear looks like and actually there's permission to actually sort of say that this piece is rented or i got this for a fantastic price from a thrifting opportunity or this is my friends and i'm just borrowing it it's a whole new playground rather than feeling that you have to be head to toe in something yeah. brand new for that image and you might never wear it again yeah i'm conscious of of time but i just want to say you know your observations on fashion of the future like when you do a crystal ball moment and you've obviously been in the industry for a long time you've worked with some of the biggest designers you've walked with many many kind of important global talents what do you see playing out in the next five years in this very fast moving territory well, of fashion? i don't think that that we're going to suddenly stop Mm. buying fast fashion mm. however i do feel that the pace that we're moving at is completely unsustainable mm. even for a lot of those companies to keep up with themselves mm. what i would love to see is really just a return back to buying local so but, the sort of carbon footprint kind of minimizing yes. and all of that which is so important yes i think the the british fashion council has done a really good job of encouraging not only diversity but supporting local designers who are more sustainable who that's like their main primary focus and i think that's really important for brands to do because a lot of new talent and new designers have the answers they're going out you know brands like mother of pearl mm. they're actually traveling across the world mm. and meeting people in person and identifying mm. these are the issues in the supply chain mm. which make it difficult for us to do x y and z yeah you understand so a lot of people are, are actually breaking down a lot of boundaries looking at and exposing these are the holes in the chain mm. and they're actually fixing it and it's a hard job and i think that we need to do more to support them but it's I the education piece really isn't yeah. it it's that kind of like uh, you say that opportunity to for everybody to understand the wider narrative 100%. of fashion and then you can make a more informed decision of course because if people understood the social impact and the pain and suffering, the exploitation of largely women that is associated with these products, they would be horrified. Yeah. That's why a lot of the time it works. And even the brands themselves, a lot of the time, are not mm. aware of these things. I know, things. but it is about kind of trying to educate that actually supporting fast fashion is the major part of the problem. You know, and this consumption that we're told we're consumers, and that needs but we're to not. Be exposed we're not. more. Like yeah. people need to see the person suffering. Yeah. Imagine that's your mum working an eight hour shift not getting paid just so you can have some cheap thing that you put in the wash it's it goes all bobbly and you throw it away yeah and then you've got all these micro plastics in your in your drinking water okay so quick fire question super fast just to close swinging 60s fashion or 80s punk oh that's really difficult. Do you want a bit uh, of nineties in there as well? Yeah, I mean, I like them all. I can't choose. It's supposed to be fast. Sixties um, <laughs> or punk? I can't. I can't do it. Come it's on. almost impossible. Yeah, you can. Sixties um, or eighties? Oh man. Okay, I'll just say eighties. God, then I can see you in some yeah. sort of shoulder pads and yeah. some big earrings here. Yeah. Okay, movies or museums? Fast, remember? Museums. Okay, red lip or a smoky eye? Smoky eye. Sweet or savoury? Savoury. Biker jacket or smart blazer? Biker jacket. Acting or modelling? 
Acting. DJing or speaking in Parliament? DJing. Private box or the summer house at Ascot? Summer house. Great, because I really enjoyed seeing you there. Now, I understand that Olimide means my hero has come. <laughs> I did a bit of research on that and you have. It's been such oh, a joy having you, so you as a guest, darling. fantastic. Thank you so thank much you and me. welcome to Personal Threads. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you.